Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast to help you get a handle on the Hebrew Bible. I'm Tim McNinch, a PhD candidate at Emory University. And I'm Reverend Dr. Rachel Wren, Lutheran pastor teaching biblical studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary. So here we are in the Easter season, and as usual, Revised Common Lectionary has taken away the Old Testament readings and placed in their spot New Testament readings from the book of Acts. Grumble, grumble, grumble. (laughs) But here at First Reading, we're not grumbling about it much. We are rolling with it, and we will be giving you some resources for thinking through the Old Testament resonances behind the scenes in these readings from Acts. Hopefully this can enrich your understanding and sermon prep, and who knows, maybe some of these reflections will make it into your sermon. So Tim's up to bat for us this week, so what do you have, Tim? Well, um, before we dive into it, let's just Mm -hmm. remind folks that if you enjoy First Reading, you can help us keep it going by making donations through our website. Oh, yes. (laughs) Any amount is appreciated, but if you're interested in setting up a regular monthly donation of five bucks or more, we'd like to send you a nifty coffee mug as a thank you gift. You're really loving your coffee mug, aren't you, Tim? <laughs> yeah, it's a great mug. I use it almost every day. <laughs> anyway, the uh, the Acts reading, uh, which is the first reading for April 24th, comes from Acts 5, 27 to 32, which is a scene in Acts that's plucked out of a larger narrative about the persecution that's faced by that first generation of Christians in Jerusalem. After performing some healings and telling lots of folks about Jesus in the temple precincts, these apostles are arrested by the high priest's cronies and thrown into prison. But an angel frees them during the night, and sure enough, the next morning, there they are again in the temple courtyard telling everyone about Jesus, while the prison guards and priests are meanwhile trying to figure out how they got out of a still-locked and guarded (laughs) prison. Yeah, it's, it's told with a bit of humor at the expense of the priests. Yeah. Anyway, once the authorities figure out that their fugitives are not in hiding but are openly preaching about Jesus again in the temple, (laughs) they escort them out yet again and bring them before the priestly council. And this is where the lectionary text picks up. Hmm. In our reading, the apostles are defiant and courageous. Why were they disobeying the priests and continuing to preach and to heal in Jesus' name? Well, because they are obligated to obey God rather than human authorities. And they go on to preach the news about Jesus right to their accusers. That's so funny. I mean, there's so much humor here. It's almost like a cartoon, like a Looney Tunes cartoon mixed with something that's more like drama, courtroom, law and order scene. I mean, it's just kind of... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, so what Old Testament resonances did you, were, were there many for you to find in this kind of wild story? Oh, of course. Yeah, there's, there's lots to pick from, but I'd like to highlight just two. So the first is the shape of this story itself. A divine protection and rescue from an unjust imprisonment is familiar from... Oh, I'm thinking maybe Daniel. Right on. There, mm-hmm. are, there are actually two stories in Daniel that are quite a bit like this. Uh, Chapter 3 is the tale of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are wrongfully sentenced to incineration in a smelting furnace. Hmm. But an angel intervenes, like in our story, an angel intervenes so that they don't even smell like smoke. Hmm. They're brought out and confront their adversary with the message of their God. And then again, in Daniel 6, 
Daniel himself is wrongfully accused and thrown to hungry lions. But sure enough, the next morning, there's Daniel, alive and unharmed because God shut the mouths of the lions. That is a really interesting parallel. Do you, I mean, do you think that this author of Acts has these Daniel stories in mind? Well, I mean, who's to say for sure? But it, it seems sure. possible since Daniel's alluded to in other parts of Luke Acts. Yeah. Uh, in any case, this story form is more than just a convenient plot line to recycle. It has a rhetorical edge to it that plays out both in Daniel and here in Acts. Mm. The experience of divine rescue invests these heroes with an even greater authority than they had before the ordeal. In other words, mm. their, their wrongful arrest and their subsequent vindication authenticate their message as actually being from God. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's the takeaway from the epilogue to the Acts story, which comes right after the lectionary reading ends. The, the priestly aristocracy is furious at the apostles for continuing to defy the high priest's hush order about Jesus. <laughs> but then another member of the council, a Pharisee as it happens, rather than a Sadducee, in fact, the famous Gamliel, advises the rest of the priestly council to just let the apostles go because if they really are from God, they'll be unstoppable anyway. <laughs> That's fascinating. So, okay, I want to hear what preaching advice you have on this theme, but is this now a good time, or you said there were two Old Testament resonances you wanted to lift up? Uh, yeah, let me let me get to the second one, and then I'll, I'll tackle preaching angles together. Okay. So um, when the apostles in the story, with Peter as their spokesperson, are defending themselves, they declare that the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus. And mm -hmm. that term, the God of our ancestors, is a carefully selected divine moniker on the part of Peter and on the part of the author telling the story. I mean, he could have just said God or the Lord or God Almighty or some other name, but the God of our ancestors has a definite Old Testament ring to it. Mm -hmm. Yes, drawing on like the patriarchal stories and the Exodus especially too. Yes, yes, exactly. And in fact, I would like to draw our attention to a particular instance of this term, from Moses' call in Exodus 3. There, God encounters Moses in that burning, not burning up bush. and <laughs> say, that, say that three times fast. Yeah, right. And God encounters him as the God of your ancestors, ah. the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Mm -hmm. And of course, God reveals to Moses God's proper name as well in that text, spelled with the tetragrammaton, yod Hey vav Hey, uh, like Y-H-W-H. But when Moses objects, and here this is beginning in Exodus 3.13, that the leaders of his people probably won't believe that God has really appeared to him, God's instructions to Moses are to assemble the elders of Israel and say this to them, that the mm -hmm. Lord, that's the Y-H-W-H, the God of your ancestors has appeared to me and has given me this message for you and for the Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. So what's more, God gives Moses a miraculous sign to validate that message, the, the stick that turns into a snake. Oh, okay, okay. And here in Acts, when the elders of Israel don't believe the apostles, they recite to them that the, quote, God of our ancestors is the one compelling them to preach. And the whole angelic jailbreak thing is kind of like Mos Moses' staff, right? A sign to validate their message. That's yes. amazing. Yes. Yep, you got it. That, that's it in a nutshell. Okay. So 
A story form that's like the rescues in Daniel and a message about the God of our ancestors that references Moses. Do you see ways that preachers could use these intertextual resonances in a sermon for Acts 5? Yeah. Um, Well, as I hinted earlier, the key line in the Acts story, I think, is Gamliel's statement, which isn't actually in the lectionary excerpt. It's um, it's (laughs) 538 to 39. He he says, if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. Mm. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may mm. even be found fighting against God. Mm. Gamaliel really captures the whole thesis of the book of Acts, that once Jesus has risen and ascended, the movement that he inaugurated to repair a broken world, fueled by the Holy Spirit, would be unstoppable, beginning in Jerusalem and spreading out to the ends of the earth. Every anecdote in Acts, I think, supports that irresistible outward push of the Spirit. Mm. Mm -hmm. And this episode is saying that even imprisonment can't stop it because the energy behind this movement is none other than the God of our ancestors. Mm. So one productive angle on a sermon might be to preach hope for those who've been working hard for justice in the face of difficult obstacles and setbacks. Mm. Despite those setbacks, God will validate the faithful pursuit of justice as gospel ministry there's a, there's a power behind such efforts that's way more than our like our own goodwill alone trying hmm. to to fuel this. Yeah, right. Just like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bold to continue faithfully in the face of opposition because they knew God had their back. So mm-hmm. Peter says, "We are witnesses, and the Holy Spirit, whom God has given." So Mm. a sermon on this could talk about the way that we're not in this alone or having to do this on our own steam. Or or a a sort of different angle, a sermon could zero in on Peter's appeal to the God of our ancestors. Mm -hmm. Just like Moses established common ground with skeptical elders, Peter and the apostles weren't trying to create something new or divisive with their message about Jesus. They frame the gospel as an outflow of the spiritual heritage that they shared with their accusers in the temple. Mm. The same principle can be a basis for us to reach across perceived boundaries for shared mission. Mm. We pursue the goodness of God in the world as part of the same project that God inaugurated with Israel's ancestors. There's a basis here for, I would say, creative partnership between Christians from multiple denominations, or for um, interfaith partnerships between Christians and Jews, and with Muslims who also worship the God of Abraham, and really with people of good faith in any religious tradition who are seeking to transform the world for good. The mission isn't about us and our peculiarities. It's about the love poured out on the whole world by the God of our ancestors. Hmm. And I think on that basis, we can look for the resemblance of God in all people and find ways for us to work together. That's such a beautiful idea to to focus in on that idea of the God of our ancestors as something that's ecumenical and actually bringing people to the table instead mm-hmm. of um, excluding and saying, no, it's just, just our ancestors that the God is God of. But no, it's our ancestors are other, others' ancestors as well. And that's mm-hmm. a really beautiful idea. Ah, fun. Well, thanks for searching out those connections, Tim. That was nicely done. Sure, no problem. 
Folks, that'll do it for First Reading. To learn more about our hosts and guests, visit us at firstreadingpodcast.com. All our episodes are there and are easily searchable with our handy-dandy search tool. You can also keep up with us on Facebook or send us an email to firstreadingpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to all of our supporters, including Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Have a great week.